Hello ninjas and ninjas, and welcome to another episode of the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast. My name is Tim Cameron Kitchen. I'm best-selling digital marketing author and head ninja at Exposure Ninja, which is a digital marketing agency based in the UK. In this episode, I'm joined by Stephanie Cicerelli. Stephanie is in charge of the marketing, and she's also a co-founder of Voices.com which is a platform for voiceover artists and businesses to get connected. So if you need a voiceover artist, you can head to voices.com, find someone that you like and work with them through the platform. Stephanie takes us behind the scenes on the growth of voices.com from when she and her future husband started off just doing some voiceover recording and turned this into a huge thing where they've just taken a monster round of investment from Morgan Stanley and they are one of the most prominent voice talent platforms in the world. So this is a massive, massive site, huge user base. And it's really interesting to hear how she's grown it and taken it from just being the talent to turning it into this huge platform. So really interesting insight behind the scenes on that, their thought process as they grew it into the platform, also their marketing channels, and we find out about how their blogging and their content marketing is contributing to their organic growth, which Stephanie considers to be the most important marketing channel that they have. So I think you're gonna get a lot out of this episode, whether you're growing a business, whether you're doing the marketing for a business, whether or not you're you know related to doing voiceover stuff, it doesn't really matter at all. The point is here that Stephanie and David have built a platform and it's become very successful and they've done a lot of it through search engine marketing. So really, really interesting show. I hope you enjoy it. And if you want some free help with your digital marketing, then don't forget we offer a free 20 minute video where we'll look through your website, your competitor sites, and we'll show you areas that you could be tweaking and optimizing to generate more sales through your site. So if you want this, then go over to exposureninja.com forward slash review. That's exposureninja.com forward slash review. Fill in a bit of information about your business and we'll send you over a 20 minute video showing you how to generate more leads and sales through your website. It's all custom recorded by one of our marketing consultants and they are freaking awesome. Anyway, without further ado, enjoy the show. Well, Stephanie, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much, Tim. It's a pleasure to be here. So I know you've got some very, very exciting news, haven't you? Maybe you want to share your exciting news and introduce yourself and Voices.com. All right. So I'm Stephanie Cicerelli. I'm the co-founder and chief brand officer of Voices.com. We're an online marketplace. We've been connecting businesses and brands with voiceover talent all over the world now for over a decade. And it's just really, really exciting. But something that's super exciting, I would say, about our company in recent days is that we've had the pleasure of being able to announce uh, a Series A fundraising um, you know, investment, basically, from Morgan Stanley Expansion Capital. So, so we're, we're really pumped about that. And just to give people who are listening a sense of the scale of Voices.com, do you have any kind of benchmarks or statistics about your reach, the number of people, the number of, I don't know how you say it, number of talents, the number of voiceover talents in your books? Sure. Well, we serve customers all over the world and they're in over 139 countries. So that's pretty cool. Uh, but, you know, of all of those wonderful people around the world, we serve almost half a million users. So what you're looking at here is almost an even split between the voice talent, who are the sellers in this case in the marketplace, and the clients who hire them, who are the buyers, of course. So they are representative advertising agencies. Uh, they could be marketing 
marketing directors or course curriculum designers. They're all kinds of creative people. That's what we found to be their, um, their kind of what brings them all together under one umbrella because with the talent, we all know that they do voiceover. But with our clients, because they do come from so many different sectors and industries, uh, the, the tie that binds is really being a creative in charge of hiring someone to record a voiceover. This business didn't start with, you know, your goal to be completely dominant in this market. Is that right? It started over, it started with you actually being the talent. Have I got that right? Oh yeah, absolutely. So my background is in voice and I went to school for, for vocal music. I have a degree in music. So, but anyway, yeah, that, that's where I've come from. My whole life I've been using my voice to sing or, or in acting, musical theater. And, uh, you know, it really did start with me kind of wanting to to do more with that instrument. And eventually, you know, that desire led to creating a demo. And this is something I never had before, but needed because as anyone knows, if you want to show someone what you can do without actually having to do it for them, you need to create some kind of a portfolio or, or some kind of a, you know, a show reel, if you will, like depending on if you're in film or, or in advertising. And for singers, that's like just having a sample of your voice recorded. So one day my momager or my mom <laughs> was kind of like, what you might call somebody who's your manager, but also your mom, far more business savvy than I was at that time. I was in first year university and she's like, Stephanie, you know, driving you around to all these auditions and, and you're doing all these wonderful things. You're booking all these weddings and you've got steady singing gigs. But whenever somebody wants to hire you, they can't listen to what you sound like without actually listening to you perform. So she thought, well, you know what? They have these MP3s now because this is back in 2002, of course, you know, and you can make a demo of your voice, a recording, and then we can just like put that up on a website or something. But oh, that's pretty smart. So long story short, one day my mom comes across a newspaper article in our local paper, and it's about this young man who's opened a recording studio in downtown London. And, and my mom just cuts it out. She's thinking, this is the ticket. You know, we've been talking about this demo. We're going to finally do it. And so she puts it on my bed for me to find and I come home from a long day of being at school and, and learning about music theory and history and, and doing a choir and whatnot. And I see this, this article and it's just there. And it, and it has this young man who uh, you might've figured out by now is my husband, but, but anyway, <laughs> back then he was not, you know, some people may call it fate, but I, I believe that everything happens for a reason. So anyway, you know, that article led to me contacting David and asking for a tour of his studio and, and saying, you know, I, I might want to record something with you. So let's get together and chat about what that might look like. So I took the city bus down from the university. And uh, that day I met with him and, and we decided that we would in fact work together. His background, just to give you a little bit of an understanding, is in audio engineering. So he went to school for the audio side of what you know our market does. And I had gone to school for more of the vocal performance side of what we do now. And so putting those two skills together, you know, the, the knowledge of the technology, but then also the background in performance and understanding of the vocal instrument and what it means to kind of put yourself out there and get work. You know, it was, it was really foundational to starting this company. And we started it, you know, slowly by doing a, a job here and there, like that same article happened to bring more awareness to what he could do. And so, you know, there would be local hair salon or, or some other uh, place that, you know, they're having a conference and they need a voicemail recorded or they, they kind of needed something done, commercial, whatever it might be. And so they asked him, now, do you have any female voice talent who can record this? And so, you know, he asked me basically. And so that kind of started our 
foray into this business. And he had studied voiceover and what it was in his recording school. But for me, it was a completely new thing. I knew I was just reading, you know, I was reading something aloud, but people would pay you to do it. And it was kind of an interesting career. But ultimately, you know, we would get more of those requests. And as the months and years went on, we got married and we had family and, and decided that the studio side of things was not what we wanted to do anymore. It was more about our own thing. We were doing, you know, audio branding and, and voiceover became part of that. Okay. So firstly, your mom must be feeling really smug about putting that article on your bed, right? Because she not only found your business, she found your husband. Yeah. <laughs> I know that she does take credit for that. I mean, you know, if she hadn't done that, then who knows how that may have come to pass. So she, yeah, I, I think there's a special place in her heart for that day when she did that for sure. <laughs> love it. I love it. So you doing the creative and David doing the technical was that became interactive voices, didn't it? Was that when it turned into an agency rather than just you? Uh, well, it, yeah, it was kind of like, I want to make sure I, I give you the right way of how it happened. Because uh, there were little steps here and there. So so he started out as a recording studio. And that's how I met him. But, you know, over time, we, we said, no more musicians coming in the house at 7 p.m. and leaving at 10. That's <laughs> kind of not a lifestyle that you could keep doing when you had an infant, you know, and, and just essentially, yeah, interactivevoices.com was our way of telling the world that that we could actually produce audio for them. So it wasn't an agency. It was more of just like, you know, two people in London, Ontario, producing really, you know, great work, but we were giving the impression that maybe we're a little bit bigger than we were. So it wasn't just like, oh, you know, David and Stephanie run this business. And and we kind of, you know, we've always thought bigger than we were, I think. And because of that, we were able to therefore attract other people who wanted to be part of what we were because they saw that I was the lone female voice on the website that you could hire. And so we would get talent from literally all corners of North America saying, Hey, like, you know, I can do this voice. And I see that you don't have a Southern bell. You don't have, you know, the Quebecois Frenchman, you don't have um, the surfer dude from LA. So can I be on your website? This is where people really started to kind of see what was going on. They knew work was happening. Um, I know that this is an SEO podcast. So like just, it was our SEO that really brought them. I think David and I taught ourselves how to build websites and he was far more proficient than I, but, but I learned HTML and we got books out of the library and, and I was, you know, working in fetch and dropping files in like a little dog bounce. It was kind of fun. I'm kind of dating myself now, but, but, you know, like <laughs> we're using that and, and just creating content was always important to us. And, and we knew that the knowledge that we had based upon our education, really, could be leveraged in such a way to establish authority in the eyes of the search engine, but also in the eyes of the customers who we would then attract. So we were building by hand voice talent profiles. We're doing all of this sort of thing. And it it was a whirlwind. But I, I think at a certain point, we realized, wait a minute, we got all of these clients that we had amassed ourselves and now we've got these voice actors, these these voice talent, we call them at the time. They're more voice actor these days, but we call them voice talent then. And we're like, oh my gosh, you know, they're here. They can do a five-year-old Scottish boy better than I can. So far as voice capabilities are concerned, I couldn't perform that way. I couldn't speak Spanish. I couldn't 
speak in German. As much as my diction courses in university did help me to sing in those languages, I was by no means proficient. So what we ended up doing is like, wait a minute, we've got all these requests coming on the one side from our client base. And on the other side, we have talent can fulfill that. Now, what if we took ourselves out of the equation and we created a marketplace that enabled those people to connect, but also to do the work that we know should be done by the voices who should do it. And so that's when we decided that we were going to go down the road of becoming that connector. And and instead of, of going down an agency path, which we did think about, but we realized that we had no background in that and it was a little riskier. We thought, no, that's not for us. What we're going to do is make a place an environment where this work can can happen and where those with the gifts can be connected with those with the stories. That's really interesting to me because you've gone in this, in the story, in the last couple of minutes, you've gone from being a voiceover artist with an engineer husband, right? Which is a common story, which, you know, all over the place, I'm an ex-professional musician, you know, there's loads of these studios where there's like one or two people and they're just working on their own to deciding to build a platform to obviously now being at the size that you are taking huge investments from people like Morgan Stanley. So I'm really curious to see what made the switch. You mentioned that you you guys were always thinking bigger than you were and you're happy to act bigger than you were as well, which I'm guessing is why the other talent was attracted to you rather than going out on their own. So Was there ever a switch that you guys just decided, okay, right, this has got to be a platform. We're going for this big rather than just, we're just going to keep on doing our own little thing. And we're just going to keep this as me and you, and we're just going to stay small. Oh, well, definitely. There there was a turning point and there, you know, as, the folklore, it's true, <laughs> suggests there is a captain <laughs> where we did write down, you know, here's our plans and, uh, you know, these are your responsibilities, my responsibilities. But essentially what the idea was is, you know, we are two people in London, Ontario, Canada, the Queen's other London, which we like to call ourselves. Um, and I love you, Queenie. But, you know, it's just uh, we knew that we were just two people. and uh, And if there were so many others who were out there doing this amazing work. And as I said, like I, no one person can be everything to everyone, right? In terms of their ability to perform and the voice type and the styles and so on. And I thought, you know, as a, you know, drawing on my background in university, I was actually the gigs commissioner on the students council. And so what my role was in the music faculty was to help connect my peers with other people who needed their skills. So let's say the the president of the university needed a string quartet to come and and to perform at some event that he was hosting. Well, they would call down to the faculty of music at Western and say, we need to have a string quartet. So that request would come to me and I would be the one to go through my list of people, the gigs list, as it was called, and, you know, find a string quartet, find a few of them, and then refer them off to that person who would then hire one of those groups. So it seemed only natural to take what we had learned back in my university days and apply that, but in a different way. We're still connectors, but in this case, it's a marketplace. And it would do such an amazing job because you know, it, it scales and, and people can do this through automation and they can search on their own. They can contact people. They can work together. It, it just seemed like we were trying to make things easier for everybody. And, you know, having the marketplace was a far better option than being an agent and having to try to manage every little thing 
having to try to, you know, like go by the honor system, basically, someone would have to tell us if they booked something like it, it, it was just not in our wheelhouse to do. But, you know, always thinking bigger, as you said, thinking, you know, is this a $100,000 idea? And if yes, let's do it. That was part of the plan. And certainly it was because we thought, you know, if, if we could sell so many voice talent subscriptions at this price point, then we could hit $100,000. And that was definitely part of our plan. It's interesting that you considered the agency model as a kind of maybe even a, it sounds like you considered this to be less or sorry more risky than the platform model is that right oh yeah which is interesting because there's a lot more agencies out there than platforms right it seems like there's a there's a proven growth model to be a, a talent agency and you can just see other people and you can copy it whereas a platform it's quite a quite a gutsy move to say right we're going to be the platform Obviously, a platform, you need scale in order for it to work. Otherwise, the talent is like, I'm not getting any gigs. And the people who come to the site are like, there's not enough talent here. So there's a kind of chicken and egg thing. But you guys just decided, right, we're going to do it. We're going to take the $100,000 option. We're going to be the platform rather than the agency. I was just, It's just interesting that you chose it that way around, I think. Yeah, well, as I say, we were doing what we knew. So we were more in the headspace of being good marketers. and marketing for us came easily, you know, creating content, adding value, serving people, um, understanding the instrument, being able to have vision. That's where kind of David and I are, are different. David and I are different in that he has a vision for how he wants to architect things. So, you know, he has kind of like, oh, well, this is the system side, you know, this is how we're going to organize it. This is the, I don't know, the workflow, the way that things happen. Whereas on my side, it's more of the creative side and, and how we're going to connect with people and make them feel good about using this website and, and engage them and uh, teach them, you know, things that we know and add value to their lives. I think that it, it was just such a, a way that we knew we had to go because we literally knew nothing about the legalities of being an agent. We didn't know anything about uh, you know, representing people and what that meant. You know, we were in Canada and most of these people were in the United States. It is just so hard. You know, when you don't know something, you you really have very little business trying to get into that. You know, it's more about you'd want to educate yourself, hire the right people, figure it out. But we didn't have time for that. It was more of a, we wanted to do something right away, something that used our talents and our skills and our gifts as they were. And, and what we knew best was marketing. And so what we did was market and connect and kind of just make sure that everybody who was aware of what we did could get their story told well, and that we could take more ground through connecting with more and more customers. And one of the marketing decisions that you made then was at some point you decided to go for the domain voices.com, didn't you? Which I'm guessing was quite an expensive purchase and I'm imagining was quite a risk. So how did you approach that decision and why did you decide that you needed that domain? Yes, voices.com was the name that we we went after. And it's funny you ask, well, what was the process for this? I think uh, sometimes, you know, <laughs> you, you just hear enough times 
the, your own company name and then you think, wait, interactivevoices.com. Now, what does that imply? Because people would think that all we did were voiceovers for kiosks and, you know, like thing, like voices that you might interact with. They weren't thinking radio. They weren't thinking TV, video games, anything else that we actually did do, right? Like we weren't just doing these interactive sort of voices. The name did not represent us in the same way as a marketplace as it did when maybe we were doing our own audio branding, you know, small mom and pop voiceover type shops. So what we just realized is, you know what, this is limiting us. And sometimes the name of your company, it might be the right name for what you're doing at a certain time right? But then as you grow and you change and you discover that you actually provide so much more value and what you're doing isn't reflected in your name, then it might be time to change it. So we thought of all kinds of different versions of what that might be. Voxio, Voxy.com, Vox.com was also on our list of of domain names that we did bid on. And of course, we don't own Vox.com. Someone else clearly does. It's very popular and they've done well with that. But, you know, after a certain amount of time, it was like, wait a minute, what if this isn't about making it a completely different name? What if it's actually about shortening the name we already have? Because we are providing voices, right? They're just not all interactive They could be for any number of different applications. So when voices.com came to mind, of course, you know, it's a dictionary word, having the word voices, very strong, authoritative, powerful, simple, you know, simple was another good thing to remember. You know, it, it was an attractive idea because it literally, you know, didn't change our identity completely. But what it did do was strengthen the core of what that identity was. So Voices.com became, I guess, the prize on which we set our sights. And what we did was we went through our lawyer and he approached the owner of the website and said, "Uh, you know, curious if you're selling, are you interested? And if so, what price would you ask? And at any rate, uh, you know, the the fellow who owned it, it was a, a website that hadn't been really, I guess, active in a long time. It was actually a medical journal for silencing critical voices, you know, in in someone's mind. And, uh, you know, like medical journal, not been updated in a long time. Also happened to have a vintage that is older than Google itself. So voices.com, the domain name, predates google.com. I believe it's uh, 1998 is, is how old that domain name is uh, voices.com. So we knew this and we knew that when, and especially back then, part of Google's algorithm included just how old a domain name was and and that added to its authoritativeness. So, you know, as as soon as we had bought voices.com, we we benefited from SEO tremendously, but, you know, it was expensive as you noted. So (laughs) it wasn't just something that, you know, bootstrapped entrepreneurs could just, you know, go and buy like it, So the fellow wanted $50,000 for it. And that is a shocking number (laughs) when you can, you know, you're barely making however much you're making and you're a startup and and you're just like, oh, I don't know if we can afford $50,000. That that could be just as much as saying like, it's it's a million dollars. You know, it was that far out of reach mentally for us at that point. But but as you say, you know, uh, that lawyer had taught us to never take no for an answer. So we went back to the bargaining table and he um, suggested 
that, well, what if we broke these payments into installments? You know, like this big, massive $50,000 doesn't need to be that. And maybe it doesn't even need to be that. So we were able to negotiate a deal where the website, the domain name, I should say, costs $30,000. And we made payments quarterly of, I believe, about $5,000 a piece. And, and so when we made our first payment, because this was agreeable to the fellow, uh, he transferred the DNS. We were able to just benefit from being Voices.com almost immediately. That's awesome. So obviously having that domain, having that authority allowed you to grow. So the, I guess the relative cost of those other quarterly payments once you got to them was was smaller because you'd already been able to grow thanks to the domain, right? Right. It, it just amplified what we were already doing. Our search results increased, obviously, but also the authoritative brand presence of being voices.com like that is so different from being interactivevoices.com and when we told our customers that we were going to change our name you know we thought well we better prepare them we want to make sure they go to the right place and of course we'd have 301 redirects and all of that but you know this is not just a technical change this is like an emotional change this is a brand decision being made and customers are involved and so we told them you know we're going to be voices.com isn't that awesome and they said oh thank you thank you because they they all realized that this was going to be a good thing but some of them were like, oh, it hurt my fingers to type interactive voices. <laughs> and so like, you get like a bunch of silly, you know, responses, um, all positive, but just kind of like, you know, but, but it's true. People would confuse our name. They would think it was voices interactive or interactive voice or so being voices.com really fixed that problem for us. It'd be odd time. Someone might still type in voice.com thinking it's voices.com, but, but you know, like we're, we're doing really, really well because it's a strong name. And now um, I think it's safe to say our customers feel better typing it into. I want to ask you about the marketing and, and kind of building the site in the in the first place because you're one of those businesses aren't you where there could be a real chicken and egg problem lots of directory sites have this where they need to get listings in order to get traffic and in order for people to want to do a listing they need to already have traffic so how did you approach the split between needing talent and needing clients to use that talent how did you how did you start the the chicken and egg process <laughs> yeah that's awesome chickens and eggs so how we started that was we went after voice talent first because you know you can have demand but if you don't have the supply for the demand then you know they're not gonna come so fortunately as i had said earlier we were a studio before and we also had uh, audio production services that we ourselves provided and because of that, uh, we had a handful or a dozen or so clients of our own that we were able to migrate onto the website. So in some ways, you know, it was kind of like, well, we have a small pool of, of clients who will be needing these, these voices. Uh, but what we did was we strategically sought out professional voice artists who were listing themselves online at the time. So I have to remember, this is in the days of the Yahoo directory, like, you know, when that was the big thing, like you, if you're listening there, you're a somebody. And, and it really was one of the only directories out there at the time. So I wrote to every one of those talent individually, and I had visited all of their websites. I had listened to many of their demos, like every person I listened to at least one audio file that they had. And I just wanted to be able to connect with them in a deeper, more personal way. Because when you're doing business online, there is an element of anonymity. There's kind of like, you know, people don't see you. And the only way to kind of prove that this isn't some canned email they're getting is some like 
person who's just sending this on mass is that you have to tell them something that you could only know if you had actually listened to their demo, if you had been to their website. Personalizing communications to people in that way through email, I think was more than likely the reason for why that worked, why getting all of those people on board worked. So the first day, the first few days that we were doing this, you know, it was really hard. Like I was emailing all day, all day long, I should say, like, you know, just listening to demos and writing things up and, and, and giving people an idea of why it is that we thought that they were really talented and that what they had to offer would be amazing for our clients. And so, you know, one by one by one, people would start to, you know, come and, and subscribe and, and do that. So it was funny, but the first day that we did this, you know, the next morning we woke up and there was $5,000 in our PayPal account. Because these efforts do pay off, right? And, and um, when you know that there's a need and you can help to fulfill that need, in this case, it was the talent needing to have more opportunities to get work, then, you know, like you're helping somebody. And I think at the end of the day, that's, that's really why we're all in business is, is to give a solution, to provide a solution to someone's problem. And in doing so, to help yourself in the process to earn a living and to create value for others. Very, very true. So, You started off by attracting the talent and you mentioned that you were individually writing their profile pages, which obviously helps your ranking and and helps bring in some organic traffic for clients. What's the split today with your marketing? Are you mostly looking to attract talent or mostly looking to attract clients? That is a great question. (laughs) And I think in the beginning of our business, we spent so much time with uh, attracting voice talent that now We have a critical mass of those people. Now, what keeps websites like ours or any marketplace going is that you need to have enough demand. Like there just has to be a constant steady stream of jobs or asks or requests or engagements that you have available to those people who are subscribing and wanting to have access to opportunity. So back then, it definitely was about building up our talent base and mainly it was because we didn't know how to charge the clients. We didn't know how to monetize them at first. So it made the most sense for us to uh, to keep, you know, looking for more talent subscribers because they would subscribe annually or, or uh, monthly. We have that option as well. And then over time, we did learn how to monetize the client side. But in the early days, all of it was very much um, talent. But I would say now it is. Uh, it took a drastic swing in terms of direction. So it's more about getting those clients and more and more new business on that side um, through our advertising and marketing efforts than it is about seeking new talent. That isn't to say that we don't enjoy having new talent come on the website because we do obviously like in advertising and and marketing, you always want to have something fresh. You always need to bring in the next generation and and bring in different voice styles and all of this and and more languages, more people speaking those languages that are harder to to locate. But for us, the lifeblood of the farm are the, the engagements, these jobs that the voice artists are auditioning for. So that's where we put the lion's share of our efforts and our resources toward is getting more clients who will hire the voice talent. And what are the main marketing channels that you're using to to get these people? Obviously, organic is still going to be a huge one for you, right? Oh, definitely. Uh, We're using organic 
um, through our content that we create. But a lot of, you know, those efforts and those resources do go towards Google AdWords, for instance. That's always been a wonderful tool for us. You know, our SEM efforts are, are immense. <laughs> we're, we're like always, you know, wanting to be on top of whatever the newest thing is, you know, remarketing, just any variety of ways that we can be providing another touch point or, you know, an impression that brings people back to voices.com is a positive thing for us. But I'm glad that you brought up organic because we have a large marketing team, I would say. And, uh, you know, part of my love for what I do is in giving back to others and and producing content that is of value to them. So uh, we've had a blog since 2005. We've been podcasting since 2005 in one way or another. And over time, that content has shifted gears in terms of who that audience is. And it's primarily, as you know, uh, the client side, the advertising agencies, the, the creative directors. But, you know, like it's, it's amazing just how much value people derive from the content that we produce and how that helps to bring more people and more authority in the eyes of the search engines too. It's really interesting, isn't it? And and I can see on your site, you've got the blog, which is mostly for the clients. And then you've got the resource library, which seems to be more help for the talent. So you've kind of got these two content sections, which are targeted at each different audience. Is that accurate? Yeah, I would say that the blog does feature some talent content. You know, it's not as um, copious, we'll say, as the client content is. And and the podcast traditionally had been more talent focused. That's absolutely true. But one of uh, the wonderful ways that we've been using our ability to podcast of late is that we have a podcast called Sound Stories. And that podcast is for the client side. So what we're doing with that is engaging with the creatives who are coming to the website looking for voice. And we realize that, you know, as a creative person and someone who works in a company, that you have far more on your plate than just finding that voice. You know, you've got a whole, you know, workflow, you've got process, you've got, you know, ways to keep yourself inspired. Like you you have to fill your own creativity bucket, if you will, right? Your own inspiration. So, so what we've realized is that if we can be part of that creative process and that kind of helping those people to be the best that they can be, whether that means, you know, how to go about making video, why it's important, or, you know, what is emotional design and, and various other topics, like even creating languages. Like we've talked about so many really awesome things on the podcast that involve all stages of just what it means to, to make a story come to life. I think that using those tools to benefit others, but also to attract new business that wouldn't have found us otherwise. Like, um, like we have so many people who hear us through podcasts, um, people as far away as the United Arab Emirates, like the UAE, they're, they're listening and they're discovering voices.com because of, you know, being on a show like yours, Tim, or, or maybe it's one of our own productions, but we've just found that that is one of the best ways because then you're found in iTunes found in Google Play Music, you're found in any of those directories you've chosen to put yourself in. How did you, uh, sorry, before before we go on, I, I want to say, yeah, I completely get your approach where you say being in, say we've got the, the marketing creative person, I can see you've got some blog posts such as writing an educational script. So tips from a New York Emmy award winning script writer. So that's like directly related to the thing that they're going to be using voices.com for, isn't it? This is how to write the script, 
which you can then pass to our voice talent. And then you've got stuff like video production techniques, which is kind of bigger picture, isn't it? That's like the larger project that they're going to be working on. So you're taking your blog from just being about here's how to use voiceover and you're actually saying we're just we we know your pain we know that you're busy we know that you're stressed we're just going to help you in all of the possible areas that we can we're going to completely expand our blog's remit to just be about making your life easier which i think is a is a really brave approach how did you profile your target customer so that you would be able to say okay these guys need help with their video production techniques these guys need help with their scripts were you talking to them or was it just kind of gut feel just you know what they need yeah well i think data tells you a lot um you know what who are the people that are posting jobs on the website what are the kind of um projects and engagements that we're seeing posted to voices.com and and what do these creatives need so some of it is gut some of it is data but a lot of it also is just our own curiosity our own interest and you know like we want to talk to people who are at the top of their games and other companies that are leading the way for how content is created how stories are told and how that creative is communicated so you know, like for for instance, when we're looking at guests for the podcast or, or people to interview on our blog, you're thinking, well, who's a thought leader? You know, who has an audience too um, that they may link back to this article? They'll they may share it through social. You know, how can we add value to to this group of people? And we had this down to a T with the voiceover side. Like honestly, it was so easy because these are people that I knew like the back of my hand. Not that many of us know the back of our hand all that well. We just say that. Um, <laughs> but anyway, like you know, fingers of speech aside, um, you know, when you know something intimately well. And you know that group of people and you understand them, then you can work, you can write for them, you can you can talk to them, you can do all kinds of amazing things to add value to them. But when you have a, another side of the equation that you don't know an awful lot about, which was the case with us and these clients, because we weren't ad agency, we weren't, you know, we didn't have that background. You have to learn these people. You have to become a student of what they do. So a podcast that I absolutely love listening to, for instance, for creatives, it's out of the CBC, uh, but it's basically called Under the Influence and, and the Age of uh, Persuasion. So like they're, they're amazing resources that I myself am tapping into. And I can only imagine that if I, as a creative, am, am trying to you know find sources of inspiration, then others are too. And that's what we've really that we want to be. We want to be that place where they can get that added value where it isn't just finding a voice like you've said so, uh, so well. It's about being part of their story, being part of their workday, finding a way to, to get more mental real estate, right? So um, that's what the job of, of a good brand ambassador is. And, and in my role, it's certainly what I do. That's awesome. I love that concept of taking up more mental real estate in your audience's minds. That's, that's, that's cool. So uh, the, the podcast, and obviously it's the one of the strings in your content marketing bow, which is uh, which seems very healthy. You actually got three different podcasts, haven't you? So why did you choose to set up three different ones rather than focusing all your attention on one? Mm-hmm. No, good question. So so some of those podcasts are kind of historical, if you will. They're it's not like they're you know they're they're there. 
But uh, Vox Talk in particular, it hasn't been updated in a very long time. And, and it's not likely to be, you know, unless for some reason we decide. But you know what? There's so many episodes. I think there's like over 120. I can't quite remember. But there are a substantial number of episodes and people still listen to them. It's not as if the content on them is, is um, you know, useless at this point. It's it's actually quite interesting. And, and we did cover news in some capacities, but I mean, like what an education. So someone wants to go back and listen to what happened in the industry in 2009. <laughs> well, they can, <laughs> um, you know, they can do that. It is a different medium. It was a, you know, co-host generally and, and, and contributions from our community, I might add. So like I would have people contribute to different segments. So we had the loop, which was the news. Um, then we did the biz and that was kind of talking about what was happening uh, you know, in the voiceover world at that point, this is a talent focused podcast. And then we'd have tech talk and, and then um, the Vox box where we'd have audio feedback that was sent in very popular at the time. But sometimes um, the shows that you produce, they won't always, you know, go on forever. Right. Like something. And so anyway, around the same time that we would have thought about Vox talk. And in fact, I think the voiceover experts, which is another one kind of predates it to a degree, you know, voiceover experts, very different audience. Again, um, this one is professionals and coaches from around the world contributing their pearls of wisdom to those who want to study voiceover or want to improve their craft. So they're coaches and it's lessons and they're nice and short and little nuggets of wisdom that you can take away. But, you know, that one again, based on contributions that would come from outside and we wouldn't have full control over how the frequency of, of those contributions. So, um, you know, I think that, again, it had not a shelf life. And certainly we update it when we feel it, it um, a good time. But we wanted to be able to have a show that we could fully control, be creative around it so far as when it was happening, like the logistics, the audience, the topics, the everything. We were going to shape this to help our customers. So with Sound Stories, which started just in January of um, 2017, you know, we've had, oh gosh, I want to say 19 or 20 episodes by now go out. Like this week, we actually have uh, an episode launching on Thursday. We release every two weeks and it's featuring um, one of the, the great creative minds from Lumosity. So, you know, they, they create um, apps that likely those listening have had the benefit of, of downloading and playing like brain games in a way, right? So, so she's talking about emotional design. And, and like, these are topics that are at the heart and the core of why people make things. And, and when we can talk about topics that matter on a deeper level that kind of inform the whole person as opposed to, oh, just this one little tiny part of what you do, then I find that, that we're able to help not just ourselves in a way to, you know, rank more for this and that and whatever that we want to rank for. But it's about helping others to grow and, and creating more of a culture of community among these, these people where we, you know, it's been splintered in a lot of ways because they all have different jobs and different things that they're doing. But the common denominator, as I said, is other creatives. So if we can feed the creative soul and if we can help to create community around what they are doing on our website, as we had done so well with the voiceover artists, then I think that it, it would just, I don't even know how big it could get, but it's just tremendously valuable. And we're really excited about being part of that world with our customers. That's awesome. Do you treat the podcast as a brand building tool or are you using them as a a direct response, like you're tracking the number of conversions that you get and you're thinking about it really kind of statistically, what's the, what's the balance there? Right. So I think with any 
efforts in that direction. You have to be thinking more about awareness, as you've pointed out. It's more about creating more, just more links out there about authority in terms of your knowledge and being able to share it. You know, the podcast is not going to function in the same way or perform in the same direct way metrics wise as say, you know, an awesome Google AdWords campaign. Like you can't expect that out of something that is meant to bring people to just even knowing who you are, you know, it's not an ad in that way. So how we see the podcast is really more of just an exercise in brand awareness in creating meaningful and valuable tools that people can use and learn from to help to build community more so than anything and to to add value. Like I, I don't even know how to say it any better than that, but a lot of what people do when they create content in a way that, you know, is freely accessible to others, like say your blog or podcasts or, or that videos, you know, you want them to perform. But they will have different objectives than, say, you know, your ad campaign or your, you know, there, there are so many other ways to measure success in that intangible realm, you know, sentiment being one, like, of course, you can kind of gauge that in certain sort of metrics ways. But, you know, like you can't, you know, net promoter score does help you to know where you stand as a brand so far as your reputation, how if people refer others to you. But there are other elements, I think, within just creating something like the podcast that you'll never be able to measure. It's more of a heart measurement and that brand real estate that you have within someone's mind. And I don't think you can calculate that. This is very, very true. This is very true. I'm just curious. So obviously, you've got some direct response stuff out there, like the Google AdWords, and then you've got some you've got the mental real estate stuff, right? So you've got the podcast and you've got, um, to an extent, the content marketing. I know it's going to be bringing in organic traffic, but it's also there to just kind of build awareness and, and be in your in your clients and in your talent's head, isn't it? So if you could just pick one marketing channel to go forward with and everything else you had to turn off or delete, what would you choose? Oh, <laughs> it's like, no, because I guess, the first thing you'd think of is like, well, what makes us the most money? You know, what would hurt to turn off, right? Um, <laughs> off Google, if I could be so bold, um, would be the, the thing that would hurt. Um, because we do love our organic and we do love our paid. And, you know, we have the great, I guess, just privilege of, of ranking very well in the search engines. And, and that we need to thank our abilities to produce content and our people who make it and and just the the intelligence that's here in this this office building. So if I oh man that's so hard. What because we have to think, you know, some people might say, "Oh my gosh, I would never turn off Google AdWords." Never. It's like, "Okay, well, that's all fine and good, but if you don't have something wonderful for someone to land on that will compel them to take action or to do something or or like if, you know, Oh yeah, okay. So you're allowed your content you're allowed your content, but you're okay. So let's say I'm, I'm either going to hit you with a brutal Google penalty, but your organic traffic's going to drop to zero, or I'm going to ban you from AdWords and never let you back on. Which do you take? <gasps> oh, <laughs> man, this sounds like a, a talk I need to have with more people. Um, I'm just thinking because, like, my opinion on this one would, of course, be like I think that if we were banned by Google, 
like if a website, any website were to be taken out of the search results, I think that would be more devastating, Tim, than saying that you could not advertise. Because if you're not in the search engine because you are not there for whatever reason, then that tells people that you are not valid, that you have nothing to add of value to anyone, that you're probably not a great company. Like it it just begs the question, you know, like why? Why are you not there, right? You, it, it would mean that everything that we've built is is not worth something in the eyes of Google, which would be very sad. So I think I would say that the first one there, if we could not actually be in the search engine, would be a, a far worse kind of way to, to suffer uh, than being told that we couldn't advertise. Because not that there are other places um, that may do better for us, because I know that channel is extremely, extremely good because it's a point of sale, right? Like you, you get something mm. they come and it, it's kind of like, you know, you get them when they're ready. Um, whereas other marketing channels that aren't like, you know, the paid um, pay-per-click style of advertising are, are like a little less easy to measure. And you, you don't necessarily know where someone's come from with that effort where you placed an ad in some print magazine, like did that, did that work? I don't know. I, I think it did. Like if you have a promo code, maybe you can tell, but um, so far as like, yeah, that was a hard question, Tim. I feel I'm like sorry. you really put me in the spot. <laughs> you know, those, those are good. This is good that you're asking that because we all need to be thinking outside of um, just the, the normal way of how we look at something because, you know, you could say, well, this or that. And it's like, well, what are the implications of this one? And, and what would happen? What are, what are the uh, outcomes? And how might we um, kind of be able to overcome that? I think that, that, that was a good thought exercise. I thought it was also kind of interesting. I don't know if I'm reading too much into it, but there was also a second where you kind of valued the perception of your business according to where you're ranking as well, which is really interesting. I think we all do it. But if I've built something and Google's not ranking it well, then Google kind of considers my business worthless, which is it's kind of it's completely expected, but it's also a little bit scary as well, isn't it? Like, Ranking is actually super, super important to perception as well as actual traffic and sales that we get. Oh, definitely. Interesting. Stephanie, this has been absolutely fascinating. Thank you so much for taking us behind the scenes of voices.com. Where can people find out more about you personally? And if they need some voiceover talent, where can they find it? All right. So if you'd like to follow me online, you can find me on LinkedIn. So I'm there, just Stephanie Cicerelli. Cicerelli is spelled C-I-C-C-A-R-E-L-L-I. On Twitter, my uh, Twitter handle is at Steph, S-T-E-P-H, Cicerelli, C-I-C-C-A-R-E-L-L-I. You know, I'm I'm pretty much there if you want to find me socially, but if you would like to do anything with voices.com to help you find your brand voice, learn more about, you know, what does it mean to even have a a voicemail recorded and what's most effective or, or, or how do I get it? You know, the right narrator for this audiobook or video and why does it matter? You know, why should I hire a professional? Well, we've got all the answers for you at voices.com. If you want to skip straight to the blog, you're welcome to go to voices.com slash blog. Similarly, if you're looking for the sound Stories podcast, uh, you can just look for sound stories from voices.com in iTunes or in Google Play or wherever you might happen to find your podcast. Awesome. And I can vouch for the blog as it's a great place to find out about content marketing in general. Obviously, there's a heavy voice and video slant, but it's just a really good resource for business owners who want to do some more good content marketing. Stephanie, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in. 
And well, thank you very much, Tim.